In the military, when a standby bed or standby bunk is called, that means everything in the entire room will be inspected. You stand by your bed and are ready to give account for anything that is not in proper order. If it's a standby rifle, you'd better ensure that your rifle is totally clean and ready for inspection. But what has this got to do with Jesus' parable of the wicked vine dresses? Keen to know? Stand by. This is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. This is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus, our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. We continue in the section where Jesus shares three parables, all of which are his collective response to the religious leaders' rejection of his authority. And these are expressed through the parable of the two sons, a rejection of instruction, the parable of the wicked vine dresses, a rejection of inspection, and the parable of the wedding feast, a rejection of invitation. The title for today's teaching is Standby fruit. Standby is a term used in the military to denote an inspection of sorts. If the officer or the sergeant calls for a standby bunk, then everything in the bunk will be inspected. If it's a standby rifle, then the weapon must be clean and ready for inspection. The parable of the wicked vine dresses is also about an inspection, an inspection of fruit. A vineyard tended by the vine dressers, was expected to yield fruit. So it's not a surprise that it would be inspected for fruit. Hence, stand by fruit. Well, let's pray as we get into this parable to observe the vine dressers' response, and more importantly, the resulting consequence. Heavenly Father, thank you for Scripture through the book of Matthew and with these parables. Lord Jesus, will you teach us the things about your kingdom? Holy Spirit, bring revelation and understanding as we learn together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage is Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. It's a rather long passage. In the interest of time, we won't read this whole passage, but we'll refer to it along the way. But broadly, it can be divided into three parts. The first is in verses 33 to 39, Jesus' parable, and then 40 to 44, Jesus' point, and finally, verse 45 and 46, the leader's plan. Here's a summary of the parable. There's a landowner, he owns a vineyard. After preparing it, he leases it to vine dressers and leaves it to them. When harvest time came, he sends servants, inspectors as it were, to inspect and receive what is expected. Fruit, stand by fruit. While the servants get mistreated, they get killed. He sends more servants, same outcome. Finally, he sends his own son. Sadly, the son gets killed too. The end. Simple story, familiar and relatable characters, lots of drama. Imagine how the hearers are interacting with the plot. 
and how they are feeling as they learn about this rejection of inspection. We will look at how the parable applied to Israel, represented by the religious leaders who rejected Jesus. And then we will consider how the parable applies to us, the church, believers who have accepted Jesus. Let's look at the parable and see how it applied to Israel. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The landowner obviously refers to God as the owner. Notice that in the parables, the three parables, God is portrayed through three characters, from a father to a landowner to a king. Well, God as the landowner prepares everything in great detail before leasing it and leaving it to the tenants. Now, this story and this situation is extremely common and very relatable. The people listening to it would understand the point immediately. But here, let's remember and keep this in our mind. God is the owner. The leaders were not. We ourselves, we are not. We like to think so because we like to be in charge. But God is the owner. The vineyard refers to Israel. And Matthew chapter 21, verse 33, is worded very closely to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. This description's almost identical, and the people of Israel, especially the leaders, would understand, or at least they should, that this refers to them as well as to Israel. But notice also the same issue of fruitfulness in Isaiah chapter 5. In verse 2, right at the end, So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And later on in verse 7, For the vineyard the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Keep this in mind as we go through the parable, and especially when we come to the point of the expectation of the owner. The vine dresses, the tenants, well, they refer specifically to the religious leaders of Israel, but yet at the same time, this rebuke extends from the leaders now to include the people of Israel as the leaders, so the people. Now, remember also that this parable continues as an extension of Jesus' response in his confrontation to the leaders of Israel concerning their behavior. Next, we will look at the representatives of the landowner. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 34, Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers. The first set of representatives of this landowner of God would be his prophets. In verse 35, the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants. 
more than the first. And they did likewise to them. As we read this, we can't help but remember and recall the treatment of God's prophets throughout Old Testament history. And you can go through scriptures and you will find that these were rejected time and time, over and over, again and again. And here in this story, God speaks of these representatives wanting to bring this point of highlight to the leaders once more. But what this means is that if you reject God's servants, these servants of the owner, you are rejecting the owner himself, which means you are rejecting God. This is a clear and precise point that we must not miss. That's the first set of representatives. There's a second set of representatives, but really a representative, one person. And then last of all, the owner sent his son, just one person. And he says, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. See that the tenants totally ignore and disregard the landowner. In fact, they presume the owner is not even coming to us directly. He's sending his son. Maybe he's dead. I mean, who cares about him? We don't want him here anyway. I mean, he can go do his own stuff. He can die. I don't care. But if the son comes and if we kill his son, hey, that's cool, right? Because when we get rid of the son, now we become the owners of the vineyard. So in the same way, the rejection of the representative or the representatives would tantamount to the rejection of the owner himself. And so if you reject God's servant, if you reject God's son, this means ultimately you are rejecting God. Now that we understand the characters and um, who they represent and what they represent, let's look at the expectation of the owner. Well, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 34, Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers, for what? That they might receive its fruit. Its fruit, fruit, and fruit again. This is the key term throughout the entire story. And it should not surprise us. In fact, we should already understand and know it because the issue of fruitfulness goes through the entire understanding of this context. The cleansing of the temple, the cursing of the fruit tree was about fruitlessness. So the issue is the same, to give account for fruit. This term of fruit is familiar also throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Remember John the Baptist asked, you guys should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus preached about a tree and its fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree, good fruit. Jesus says, look at the false prophets. If you want to know which are the real ones and not the right ones, look at the fruit. In this parable of the kingdom, the parable of the soils, the sower, um, fruit, Right, right at the end, good soil, good fruit. Jesus is always looking for fruit. The expectation is always fruit. Does it extend from the Old Testament? Definitely. It's a key concept. If you are reading God's Word, meditating upon it, and living it out, you will be like a tree planted beside streams of living waters. 
and in its season you will bring forth fruit. So the expectation of the owner, not surprisingly, is fruit. And so when he comes and he says, I'm here to inspect, will you give me what I'm expecting? The expectation leads to an inspection. Stand by fruit. And the people were rejecting this inspection because they didn't want to get to that expectation. They either didn't have fruit to produce or to show forth, or that they had the wrong kind of fruit. So what's the expectation? Main point here, guys, fruit. So when they rejected that inspection, it is a rejection of authority. Now, from this whole context in this chapter, it was always the question of authority. The leaders questioned the authority of Jesus. And for that reason, Jesus shared these parables. Well, let's go through this. The expectation of fruit would point to an accountability. But the rejection of inspection means I'm rejecting this accountability. By rejecting accountability, it means I'm rejecting authority. The leaders wanted to be their own bosses, their own authority. They thought, look, I'm the one in charge. Don't check me out here. I know what I'm doing. Go do your own stuff. I don't want to be inspected. I don't want to be accountable. Well, having gone through the points of the parable now and understanding its relevance and its significance, let's consider Jesus' point. After telling the story, Jesus is now ready for his main point. But he doesn't just deliver it directly. He draws it out from the leaders first. Matthew chapter 21, verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and leave his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. This seems to be Jesus' teaching style, right? Ask the questions. Draw out the answers. Reveal the heart. And so he asks and poses this question. So how? What do you think the owner will do? And the leaders just replied almost immediately. Oh, get rid of these terrible vine dresses. In fact, replace them so that you can get the fruit that you are expecting. Notice how the leaders, their reaction was similar to that of David when confronted by the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 5 to 7, right? I mean, David had just sinned with Bathsheba. Nathan comes and shares and points this out by way of a story. And David gets upset with the characters in the story and he pronounces a judgment and finally Nathan says, you are that guy. And what you have said, that will be applied to you. Well, the leaders gave the correct answer. Or shall we say the most natural answer, right? In other words, this is what they would do if they were in the situation. And this is correct. You expect food. You didn't get it. In fact, you get lousy treatment, rejection, everything's thrown in your face. Get rid of these guys. Replace them. <laughs> Here's a side note. We are usually very good at passing judgment. Just not too good at evaluating ourselves. So Jesus says, great answer. But before we get to that part, let's see what Scripture says. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you never read in the scriptures? This is a typical Jesus type of rebuff of the leaders once again. In other words, he's saying, you guys, you, you know the scriptures. You read it, you study it, you meditate upon it, you teach it. You should know. Today's parable, you mean you didn't learn this in your Bible study? Hello? <laughs> Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23, and this is a messianic psalm. The crowds used this psalm to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. They used it to declare him and position him as the Messiah. And so he talks about a stone that the builders reject. It's a play on words. Prior to that, the parable talks about the son who was killed. Now the word stone and the word son in the Hebrew sounds almost the same. And this was a veiled reference to himself as the Messiah. Now the leader's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah does not disprove his messiahship. The Lord was telling them that God has already seen this. He has predicted, he has prophesied that the Messiah will first be rejected. The Lord knows all this. He has put it all in place. And as he is rejected, later he will be honored and he will be glorified and it will be marvelous in our eyes. In fact, this rejected stone will become the cornerstone. Or in other translations, a capstone. Again, these are temple terms where there are builders as well as building. And this might be a possible reference to a subsequent destruction and removal of the temple system or the temple cult, pointing to and leading to the raising up of another temple, the house of God, the body of Christ. And this is why later on, Psalm 118, verses 22 and 3, will be quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, as well as 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, to say that this Jesus is the Messiah. First in Acts chapter 4, 11 and 12, he was preaching and speaking to the Jewish audience, said Jesus is this cornerstone. He is the stone you rejected, and he is now the Messiah. By 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, he's writing to the church a combination of both Jews and Gentiles to say that this cornerstone applies to all and you are now the temple, the spiritual house, the house of God that has replaced this new community that has replaced the old one as well as the physical temple. But here's the main point. This is the consequence that Jesus was trying to put across so clearly. The consequence of rejecting God would be that you will finally be rejected by God. Matthew 21 verse 43, he goes on, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. The kingdom will be taken from the builders, i.e. leaders, and it will be given to a nation, a people, a different group. Now this would be a transference of the leadership to a group of new individuals. But it's not just simply the appointment of new leaders. It looks to a new community of disciples who will do the works 
of God. Fruitfulness. Now, be careful. This is not that Israel will be completely replaced by Gentiles. The word Gentiles would be ethne. But the word that is used here is ethnos, singular, not a plural. It's just one people. Israel, as the original community of the kingdom, will be replaced by another kingdom community. And this would be the ecclesia, the community of the king comprising Jews and Gentiles forming one new man in Christ, one people, one ethnos, and that's us. But those who rejected Jesus will be ultimately rejected and broken by him. Let's look at the word cornerstone, or in some translations, capstone or keystone. The translation is not entirely clear, but just understand that these stones are the most important stones in the part of the structure of the building that they are placed in. The cornerstone is placed first, right at the bottom, as the first stone. Now, because it's at the bottom, you can stumble over this stone. And for which reason, the Lord says in 44 of Matthew 21, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. You can trip over it, you stumble, and you will be broken. You will be rejected by the Lord. Or you can be crushed by something that's on top. A capstone or a keystone is placed on top. And from that place, when it drops on you, you will be crushed and you will be broken, ground to powder. And this is again very, very consistent with how God's kingdom was portrayed as a stone that crushes all other kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 34, 35, as well as verse 44, especially, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. See, the consequence of rejecting God and rejecting his representatives, ultimately, finally, in the person of Jesus, the cornerstone, the capstone, the keystone, the most important person and name, the consequence of rejecting that, you'll be rejected by him. Now, even if you do not openly or actively oppose Jesus, anything less than genuine discipleship, living for him and bearing the fruits that come out of that, that would also lead to judgment. The stone will fall and will crush on any that does not live for Jesus. And this is the point that the Lord was making very clear because the people, the leaders, were rejecting his authority, rejecting his inspection, rejecting everything about God, and rejecting everyone sent by God. Jesus made this point so clear to say that if that's going to be your position, then your position is not tenable. You will be removed. Things will be taken from you. You will be rejected. Now that we've gone through the parable and we understand Jesus' point, let's look at the leader's plan. Matthew 21, 45. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. 
I think the leaders were beginning to get the drift. Hey, I think he's talking about us. But before he gets rid of us, let's get rid of him. And this is a very clear rejection of the authority of God and the authority of Jesus. And yet they couldn't risk creating a scene. They didn't want to offend the crowds and they didn't want to upset the Roman authorities. Well, we know how it played out. The leaders literally act out the parable, thereby fulfilling prophecies. The vine dressers killed and murdered the son. The religious leaders will deliver Jesus to the Roman authorities to finally kill and murder Jesus. But they didn't take the main point into account. Jesus will return as the cornerstone. They will be crushed and replaced. The kingdom will be given to another people, the ecclesia, the church, a new kingdom community. Now that we've seen how the parable applied to Israel, let's look at how the parable applies to us as the church. It's too easy and too convenient to just say, well, we believe in Jesus, let's sing Cornerstone and all's well. Let's remember the main issues again. The authority of Jesus is from heaven. And that means ultimately this authority is from God. There's an issue of accountability then, the expectation of fruit, thereby that we should always be ready for this inspection of fruit, the standby fruit. And here's the point. If we believe, if we accept Jesus, we accept his authority. And when we accept his authority, we accept that accountability. By saying that, we are thus ready all the time, anytime, to bear and to render fruit. Let's look at the parable again to see how it applies to us as believers of Jesus Christ. The landowner is now Jesus, who's God. He is in charge. He owns all things and he has all authority. The representatives are Jesus' servants who remind, warn, awaken, etc. Now, these are leaders and these can also be the prophetic voices of our day. The vine dresses, they are now the church, the people of God. Not just the leaders, but every believer in Jesus Christ. We all belong to Jesus. We are all his stewards. And we are expected to work the field in the body of Christ, as well as to work the field in the world. The harvest, fruit is expected. Stand by fruit. Matthew was warning the church, both leaders and believers, of the same expectation and not to commit the same mistake and fall into the same predicament as Israel. Have we been faithful as the new people aligning with the cornerstone? How would we fare if God called for an inspection today? After all, judgment must begin with the house of God. Here are some implications and issues to consider. Number one, Jesus is the owner. We are stewards. We are under authority and totally accountable. Have we disregarded the true owner of the vineyard? Do we take things into our own hands, set our own rules? Are we building our own kingdoms 
or really the kingdom of God. When we look at our churches and our ministries, our lives, our work, our families, the things we do, are we building our own kingdoms? Are we doing what Jesus wants us to do? Number two, Jesus is very patient and extremely gracious. He expects fruit, but he waits for fruit. He understands that it takes time in season, but he gives many, many chances. He sends reminders and warnings. Are we heeding? Are we ignoring? Are we rejecting? Or have we taken for granted God's patience and His grace? Have we not repeated prophetic calls to, to wake up, to repent, to obey? Would we reject God's inspection finally? Would we reject His messengers? Or worse, would we reject Jesus? Because to reject all these things would ultimately be to reject Jesus. Our Lord Himself speaks to the seven churches. and he, In the church of Sardis, He says, Wake up! You are dead. You have this reputation of being alive and all that. But hello, check your fruit. Stand by fruit. To the church in Laodicea, you are lukewarm. Check your fruit. Stand by fruit. Jesus is so patient and so gracious. Would we be careful in the way that we respond to this grace? Number three, Jesus expects fruit. This should be obvious by now. Stand by fruit. Be willing to be inspected anytime. Be faithful in the small things. These would train and align us for the bigger things. Do we realize that there would be two broad categories of fruit that we are accountable for? The fruit of maturity. We are to be growing in the things and in the person of Jesus. There's a fruit of ministry as we minister to others. Are we bearing good fruit? Two categories, maturity and ministry. Now, we know that we will not bear this and do this perfectly. And of course, it will always be by His grace and with His enablement. But we must remember that we are still called to do our part. Some will water, some will plant, some will do other things, and we must do our very, very best. And God Himself will bring the increase by His grace. But God and Jesus expects fruit. Are we ready for standby fruit? Number four, Jesus will judge. Do we know that God will eventually judge? Or are we going to put our heads in the sand and say, no, 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 there'll be no judgment. You see, it's not just about believing Jesus, but also bearing fruit. And if we are not in full discipleship, living for Jesus and doing the things that He wants us to do, these actions and behaviors will lead to judgment finally. Where the Lord says, I don't know you, are you obedient? Then where's the fruit? And a cornerstone will fall or the capstone will crush. The harvest can also refer to the end of the age. And this means a final inspection, a final standby fruit. And truly, we will all appear before Jesus at the bema seat of Christ. At a point in time, we give account, standby fruit. And what's the consequence? The leaders of Israel had the kingdom removed from them. We must ask ourselves, will unfaithful servants be removed from the kingdom? 
many, many references to disciples or servants or the sons of the kingdom being cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does this sound harsh? I know it does, but we still remember His grace. But by doing so, let us also not take His grace for granted and receive His grace in vain. Implications, issues, serious ones for us all to consider. Let's bring this teaching to a close. The parable, it applied to Israel, the people of God, the people of the kingdom. The parable applies as well to the church, Jesus' kingdom community, the people of the kingdom. Stand by fruit. The point, God is patient and will send representatives and agents to remind and to warn. To reject or to ignore these would be to reject inspection and the authority that comes with that inspection. Ultimately, it tantamounts to a rejection of God, which results in a rejection by God. As believers, let us be reminded that accepting Jesus as the cornerstone means accepting His authority and our accountability to Him. Stand by fruit. Plan. Hmm. In response, the leaders plotted to get rid of Jesus. What's your response after hearing this parable? What's your plan? And what do you plan to do about it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you always for teaching us. Thank you always also for showing us as it is. But at the same time, we are thankful for your grace and your enablement. Help us to respond correctly, that we will live rightly for you and bear the right fruits to give account when you say the final day, stand by fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipersawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hansen signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.